I open this morning's sermon with a question. What do you think of when you think of God? Some of you were not here for our morning sermon today. You were off with the kids or somewhere else, so I'll ask it again. What do you think of when you think of God? What picture comes to your mind? As I said this morning, A.W. Tozer said that was about the most important thing about a man, what he thinks of when he thinks of God. And it's certainly not original to me to say that the way that we very naturally think about God is the way that we saw our earthly father. We have a picture of a father that God gives us, and unfortunately, our picture of God as our father can be distorted by what we saw in our earthly father. We, as fathers, fail in so many ways. We are so flawed, we are so imperfect, that very often our view of God is shaped by what our earthly father is. If we have a father, for example, who is indulgent, who gives us basically anything we want, if we simply whine enough and we simply beg and plead enough, ultimately the dad's going to give in, we shouldn't be surprised when we have a view of God as someone equally indulgent. When our, we have a father who is perhaps very strict, is very hard-edged, is very disciplinarian, perhaps does not have a lot of tender aspects of love in his character, we should not be surprised when we have a wrong view of God that is the same, a kind of taskmaster, a kind of stern, tough judge and disciplinarian. And that is why ultimately, while we can find pieces of the character of God in our earthly fathers, we need to find ultimately our view of who our Heavenly Father is and who he is revealed to be in God's word. And so one of the most important things that we do is when we take these pictures that we see in the Bible of what our Heavenly Father is like and try to bring it to life, like taking a picture off a page and bringing it fully to our reality. This morning, we talked about the picture of God as a prodigal father. Now, yes, I said a prodigal father, not a prodigal son, because in Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son really is a, is a parable of a prodigal father. The word prodigal means lavish, excessive, extravagant. It can mean wasteful. That's why we say the prodigal son, because he wasted his money. But the picture, ultimately, the star of the story in Luke 15 is not the son, it's the dad. He's at the center of the story. And even though he has been humiliated and shamed and rejected by his son in the eyes of his community, his, his standing in the community has been lessened by this rebellious, nasty son. Yet, when the father waits for his son to return and sees him far off on the road, he runs to him, further humiliating himself, having to lift up his robe, expose his legs, and run to come to the son on, on his son's terms, if you will, not his own. He is running to the son. He is falling on his son's neck. He is, he is weeping, if you will, over him. He is kissing him again and again and again, as that word implies. And so the idea that we saw of our heavenly father is one whose love for us is extravagant. And I'm starting here because I think it's important foundation. The simple point we made today is that God's love toward you as his child is not conditional. God loves you every bit as much on your worst day as he does on your best day. 
God's love is not dependent, his affection for you is not dependent on whether you are succeeding in your Christian life this week or whether you are failing. His love is exactly the same. We saw this in the fact that he fell on that boy's neck and kissed him over and over and over again before the boy even said a word, before the boy confessed, before the boy repented. It was enough that his son was there and that his son was coming home. Oh yes, don't get me wrong, as we saw this morning, our full experience of God's love is limited when we are rebelling against him, when we are rejecting him. We do not feel his affection in the same way. We do not feel his affirmation and his approval. But his love, his desire for us, his, if you will, his compelling toward us, his movement toward us is always there. You say, well, doesn't the Bible say don't grieve the spirit of God? Yes, it does say that God can be grieved by our behavior. But uh, John Van Gelder and I heard make this point. It's so true. You cannot grieve someone who does not love you. The very nature of being grieved with someone shows us the love that God has for us that is always pursuing us, always directed toward us. Why? Because of our performance? No, because we're his child. That's enough. That's all there is. And we talked this morning about how as fathers, we should have that same godlike character. A heart that is overflowing in love and affection and communicating it regularly to our children. So this morning, we looked at a particular picture of God, this picture of God as this overwhelmingly extravagant father who pours upon us love, even when we don't deserve it. And tonight, I want to look at another picture, very briefly, of another kind of father. I want us to see here in this context, if you look with me at Matthew 7 and verse number 7, Jesus is encouraging us to pray. He's putting prayer in front of us. And he's saying, do that. Notice what he says. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Now, do you see here there seems to be a progression? Ask. Ask for things, and it will be given. Seek. That's like a little extension of asking. Now you need to look for it. It's taking another kind of pursuit. Now you are seeking for it. And now the third seems to be another intensifier. Knock as if you need to continue in persistence. And each of these things gives us a picture of what prayer looks like. Asking, seeking, and knocking persistently. And he even says in verse 8, For everyone that asks receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. So Jesus is saying, please, test me, pray, ask, seek, and knock. And then as a good good, um, speaker does, he's going to bring it down to a picture for us. And notice what he says in verse 9. Or what man is there whom if his son, so this is a father, what father is out there whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? Now listen to this conclusion. If ye then being evil, morally corrupt, we are. We are evil. We are morally corrupt. If ye then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. Now listen to these words. How Much more. How much more? 
shall your Father which is in heaven, the separated Holy One, give good things to them that ask him. You know, Jesus never asked, answers the question, how much more? He intends you to think about it. He intends you to meditate on it. He intends you to draw a picture in your mind of who your father is and look up to him and say, yes, father, how much more will you give me good things when I ask? I want us to draw together another picture of our father in heaven this evening. The title of the message is simply, how much more? How much more? And I want to use Jesus' example of what a corrupt, even a morally corrupt, earthly father looks like and demonstrates in his character, and then ask ourselves that rhetorical question, how much more will a perfect heavenly father act in an even greater and truer way? There are really three characteristics here that I think we are intended to focus on. And we'll just spend our time looking very briefly at these three characteristics. Notice this first verse here in number nine. Or what man is there of you whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? The first characteristic of an earthly father is kindness. Kindness. This is the idea. Now, I want you to imagine here in this day, actually it is said that if you were to go in that day how they made bread and typically the ingredients that they would use, it actually wouldn't look necessarily all that differently from what you could find in limestone rocks in that day and age. As if there was a, a kind of overlapping, a, a, kind of, uh, a kind of similarity such that those people today would be, yeah, maybe you could trick a kid. Maybe your son comes to you and says, Dad, I'm hungry. Could I have a small loaf of bread? And you give him a stone and say, Here, son. Now, notice what Jesus is saying. Which dads of you would do that? To pull a trick on your son that responds to his legitimate need with something malicious with something that you know if he bit into, he'd probably break his tooth on. It is a kind of recklessness, a kind of callousness towards your own son that the obvious answer is, no, there's not a father out there. Now, we should be clear. Are there fathers that act maliciously toward their own children? Of course there are. And there's a sense here in which Jesus is appealing to the fact that the exception proves the rule. The rule is so strong that fathers, by their nature, are not those who respond to their children with a kind of callous indifference, a kind of unnatural indifference to their own needs, that when their, when their son sincerely asks them something they need, they as if cruelly mock that need and give a stone. Notice what also he says then. Or if he asks a fish... Will he give him a serpent? Now think about what he's saying. He could be saying one of two things. One thing he could be saying is a serpent like that would bite the child. A poisonous snake that would cause injury. That's probably how most commentators take it. Some take it as the idea that the fish was a morally clean animal under the law and a serpent was a morally uh, was, it, was an unclean animal under the law. Jesus is saying, you're, you, you Jewish fathers aren't going to slip your child something that's violating God's law, like a, aha, he doesn't know. I'm going to introduce defilement into his life. Whatever it is. 
the idea is this. You are not going to give your son something that will hurt him when he sincerely asks for something that he needs. And isn't this true? I don't care even if you're a father here. If you are a somewhat sensitive human being, you hate hurting kids. I, I, something came to mind as I was driving in here, and, and I think it's, it's great that, that Daniel's here tonight. Because I still remember, I was right over there by the kitchen, and I'm pretty sure it was Daniel. It might have been Betsy. I can't remember which one. And they were there, and it was probably at least 15 years ago. And I was down there um, right by the kitchen, and I picked them up, and I threw them up into the air. And what I didn't realize is that I was standing under a place where the ceiling went down into an overhang right there in the kitchen, and I threw them up and heads, head first into the ceiling. And it was like here, whether I was just going to say it's Daniel, it was like here this kid was just looking to have a good time. Oh, here's, here's, here's Pete. This is going to be really fun. Bam! And man, he started wailing, and you can just imagine how awful I felt. How awful that just, oh man. And then Janet was there, and I'm just dying, and it's, oh no, what have I done? Whether you have stories of that or not, you know that idea. Oh no. Now, now imagine a father. Have you ever seen a father? I think it almost times more happens with, with a mama bear. Have you ever seen a mom where mama bear comes out? Where like kids are playing at a park? And then suddenly, one, a group of kids starts picking on her child or teasing him or tormenting him in some way. And Mama Bear comes out, and there she goes. You don't mess with that. What is it? It's the natural response in a parent to say, I do not want to see my child harmed. I do not mock at their sensitivities. I do not minimize their needs. I provide what is good for them. So notice Jesus is taking this very natural picture. It is the kindness of a father, the kindness of a parent. Now notice what he says in then in verse 11. If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. Now notice there's another idea in there. You know how to. So in other words, we don't just have kindness, we have wisdom. We have discernment. You know how to give good gifts to your children. What does the idea seem to be? If you're a parent, you know how to discern between what's good and bad. As a parent, you know that a stone is bad for your child. They're not going to get any sustenance from it, and they're liable to break their tooth. Bread is good. It'll feed them. It'll satisfy their hunger. It'll nourish them. You can choose between good things and bad things. Fish, good. Snake, bad. If you being evil, even you, Father, in your moral corruptness, if you are able to look at your child, your young child's actions, and say, that's good and that's bad, that's the idea he's saying. Just this morning, I was confronted with a request from one of my children who will probably identify um, herself in this message. She said, Daddy, right first thing this morning, Daddy, can I have some candy? Can I have this piece of candy? And it's like, no, you're not having candy to start. That's not your breakfast. That's not good for you. 
And so, of course, me being a dad who I hope had some wisdom and some discernment, I said, no, you're not going to start your day with that. Why? Because if we know how to give good gifts, we know there's a place maybe to give them candy, and we delight in giving them candy when it's the good time, when it's the right time, not now. That's the idea. You as a parent, you know how to give good gifts, to discern between what is good and bad. Now notice what he says. Verse 11, how much more in kindness and wisdom shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Now notice what he is already taking for granted. If your Father in heaven is perfectly holy, perfectly separated from any moral fault, perfectly loving, how much more will he be compassionate than the best earthly father? How much more kind will he be than the best earthly father? Now, you could think for a moment of who was the kindest father you've ever been around. I don't mean indulgent. I mean the kindest dad, the one, if you're a father here, you looked at someone and said, what a kind-hearted man. And if you paint that picture in your mind, now stop and say, how much kinder is God than he is? How much more? Jesus doesn't tell you. All he's saying is, think about it. He's way kinder than the kindest dad you know. And then notice what else he's saying. Who is the wisest dad that you know? The one who just always seems to have an answer between what is right and what is wrong and why. Here's a good thing for my child. Here's a bad thing. And they just see it very clearly. And you say, that person is very wise. They are very balanced. They are very discerning in what is right or wrong for their child. And now Jesus asks you, how much more? How much more is your heavenly father able to discern between what is good for you and what is bad for you? How much more? Of course, infinitely more. He's infinitely kinder, in a sense. He's infinitely more wise. He is perfectly kind, perfectly wise. Now notice the conclusion that he draws. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more, and what's the next word? Shall your Father which is in heaven give good things? Shall. He will give good things. Notice there's another characteristic. It's not just that he's kind. Perfectly so. It's not just that he's wise. Perfectly so. But he is thirdly delighting. Notice that Jesus doesn't just say he's kind so he won't give you something that's harmful. He's discerning. He's he's wise so he knows how to distinguish between what's good and what's bad. He says he will give you good things. He won't just withhold from giving you bad things. He will affirmatively give you good things if you ask him. And you say, what is he trying to say? Well, I want you to think about this picture. Have you ever seen a dad, maybe if you're a dad, you know this feeling. Have you ever seen a dad that delights in their child? I mean, just, just delights in them. If you want to see a good example, just see whenever Ben looks at Piper. That's just a pretty good idea right there. That, that girl has him wrapped around her finger already. No, you know what it is, that, that delight. It's like the dad looks at the child and their eyes just light up. I remember my, my dad. My dad was such a wonderful example of this, of someone who truly delighted in his children, who just found joy in the children, just because they were his children. And it was like his eyes would just twinkle. 
he would just get this look in his eyes when they were doing when one of the kids was doing something that he just was so delighting about. He'd just have a little twinkle in his eye. And you, I want you just to, to think about that kind of dad who is giving his child something good that he knows is good for that child and his eyes are just twinkling. They're just lighting up. I, I'm just thrilled to give my child this good thing. And now Jesus says, how much more will your heavenly father give you good things when you ask him? He's a God that delights Now, I want to show you this from two other passages in Scripture very briefly here. I think that will be encouraging to us. First, turn over to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. We'll just look at this very briefly. Jesus in Luke chapter 12 is giving a kind of Sermon on the Mount. It seems to be, of course, at a different time and to a different audience, but he's remaking some of these same themes. And notice what he says In verse 29, he says, And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now look at verse 32. What what is is encouragement for us to seek the kingdom of God? Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's Good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Why are you worrying about anything else other than seeking God's kingdom? Don't you know that God delights to give you the kingdom? Don't you know that he is pleased to pour out of his kingdom on you and then give you everything else that comes alongside it? Don't be afraid. God delights in you. Now, this same word, this, it's his good pleasure. It's the same word that is used at Jesus' baptism when God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God is well pleased to give you the things that you need for his kingdom. Is that how you think of God? Is your picture that you drew of your mind at the beginning of this sermon tonight a picture of a God like the best father who just gets a twinkle in his eye when he gives you good things? He just delights to do it. One more thing. Go over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. You may know already the passage here before we go to it. Paul has just worked through what the the, the, the doctrine of redemption is God drawing us to himself. Those he did predestinate, he called, and whom he called, he justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. And now look at verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God before us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. If God gave his son, whom he delighted in, who he was well pleased with, the treasure of his heart, if God gave his son, did not spare him. Listen to this. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? How shall he not freely give us? Now, what does it mean there there to say he will freely give us? Have you ever heard someone say, I'd like permission to speak freely. Can I speak freely? Immediately you should say, you should start tiptoeing away, backing away very slowly. Woo! Lava eruption coming. Um, Whether that's true or not. What does it mean to speak freely? You're saying, can I speak without any restraints? 
Can I be unrestrained in my speaking? What does it mean for God to freely give you all things? It means that God's giving as a father to you is unrestrained. It is free. It is liberated. What does that mean? Well, think about the ways you as a parent are restrained from giving good things to your children. One thing you're restrained by as a parent is your resources, your material resources. It's like the father who has a surgical procedure that their daughter desperately needs, and they say, I'm sorry, sweetheart, I don't have the money for it. I can't afford it. You have a desire to give a good thing to your child, but you say, I am restrained by my resources. And then you think of God, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who has all the resources in the world and is entirely unrestrained in giving you anything that you need. What else are human parents restrained by? They're restrained by their time. Daddy, I, son, I'd love to come and throw a ball with you right now. I'd love to come and give you this good gift of my time, but I'm too busy. And then we think of a heavenly father who is never too busy. He is entirely outside of time. He is never too tied up to meet our needs. And you could go down the list. What else are material parents, are earthly parents constrained by? They're constrained by their own character, their own irritation, their frustration. We are in a time of life now in the Magnuson household where my children are at that age where they ask five questions in 10 seconds and just go over and over and over again. And sometimes even when we're trying hard, we just say, enough, stop asking. We've had enough. But God's not restrained like that. God's not restrained by mental bandwidth. He's not restrained by impatience. He's not restrained by selfishness or self-centeredness. God is a good father. He is restrained by nothing other than one thing. What is the one thing that God is restrained in from giving you? Bad things. God is restrained by one thing. What is bad for you? What did Jesus just say? We just heard, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He delights in giving you kingdom things, things that advance his kingdom. What did we just read in Matthew chapter 7? How much more shall your father, which is in heaven, give good things? Good things. What is the only thing that your father is restrained in? Is he restrained in his time, in his resources, in his love for you, in his own self-centered nature? No, he's restrained in one thing, whether it's good for you. And that means this. Matthew chapter 7 is trying to tell you, pray. Ask him. Talk to him. Why? Because how much more will your father give good things to you? When you ask, like a child, like a child that is simply trusting that daddy knows best. You know, friends, let me just ask you, do you trust yourself to know what is good for you and bad? Do you trust yourself? Do you trust that you can discern better than God that something very painful in your life right now is bad or whether it's good? 
You see, even when we look at Hebrews chapter 12 and we see the chastening hand of God, we're reminded that those whom the Father loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Why does God bring what appears sometimes to be bad things in our life? He is making us partakers of his holiness. It is a loving purpose that he brings in, and therefore it is not bad. And how many times? Have we looked back at a prayer that we made of God, something we chafed against God? Why aren't you giving me this good thing? Or why have you given me this bad thing? And we looked back years later and we said, God, thank you. Thank you for not giving me that. That would have been bad for me. God, thank you for giving me what appeared to be bad. That was good. And you had good purposes in it. What's the point? Your earthly father, if he is a natural earthly father, will have a spirit of kindness toward you to, not, to, to give you what you actually need. He will have a spirit of wisdom about him to discern between what is good and what is bad. And he will have a spirit of delight, a twinkle in his eye to give you out of simply the pleasure of his heart, the delight of his very nature. And the question for all of us tonight is simply this, how much more? How much more is your father kind in heaven? How much more wise is he? How much more delighting is he he in pouring out what is truly good for you today? I hope that tomorrow or tonight or the next time you get on your knees before God in prayer, you have a new picture that's been colored and sketched in of who God is. Maybe it's the picture of that dad with a twinkle in his eye and you get on your knees tomorrow before God and that picture is there of a God who is just delighting to give you good things. Doesn't that encourage you to pray? Doesn't it encourage you to ask him with complete trust that if it's bad for you, he's going to overrule and he's only going to give you what's good instead? Ask and ye shall receive. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Why? Because how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are a good Father. You delight, you delight in freely giving us whatever is needed in our case today. Forgive us for being led to mistrust you, to think you're stingy, to think you look on us in anger, to think you are withheld in the good things that you will give to us. Oh, I pray, Father, may we trust you. And as we trust you, may that reflect itself in more prayer and more consistent coming before you as a good father who delights in giving good things to his children.